I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Alessandro Troncia, Head of Strategy, Private Banking and Wealth at InvestCloud. And this is a return visit to the podcast for Alessandro. And it being that time of year, we're casting our mind forward to 2022 as a whole, looking at trends in wealth management. What are the key issues, key areas, Alessandro, that you've identified for this year? It's a very good question to think about. And for us as InvestCloud, we feel that wealth management is an industry that has not been data-driven enough historically. And so we think that this year, this whole topic of data and using data to better understand clients, to better understand products, to be more compliant, and also to generate more efficiency in the advisory system is going to be a key topic. Also, because data is a big gateway to do some deep artificial intelligence that can really create more insights and more intelligent automation into the wealth management industry. I have to pick up on this. Not data-driven enough, you say. If I was an investor investing into a wealth management solution, handling my investments, and you turn around and say to me, well, this is not data-driven enough, what are they doing then? How are decisions being made at the moment and, and what's got to change? There's been data applied to wealth management historically, but it's been more quantitative market data about products, about shares, about market developments. But I think the client side has been ignored. So collecting more data on the client, preferences, circumstances, style of investment, uh, the way in which the client prefers to interact with the wealth management firm, that's been a bit of a black box and not intelligent enough. And also we see new fields like ESG, where data, again, about the client preferences, ESG space, but also how different products support different causes, different ESG objectives. You can see there's many dimensions that need to be considered holistically if you really want to offer personalized, intelligent, compliant, and high-quality service. The wealth management industry provided a lot of high-quality service, especially in private banking, but all this data was in the head of the advisor, in the head of the private banker, and not an asset that institution can use systematically to create value for clients. The kind of data you're talking about is actually quite difficult for an institution to quantify at large, though, isn't it? We, it's something, when you say it resided in the head of the advisor or it resided in the, the head of the relationship manager, that makes sense. But taking that data, if I can put it this way, out of the heads of individuals and putting it together in a way that can be leveraged, can be used by an institution, is actually quite complicated, isn't it? It is, but that's the beauty of digital, that if you really have a systematically well-designed digital system, you are collecting almost everything that transpires between advisor and client. And that, and if you can collect it at scale, then artificial intelligence can distill those nuances and client preferences that 
the advisor might collect over dinner a bottle of wine, but the system can collect over years and understand that I prefer to invest into Italian shares. I have a strong empathy for anything which uh, uh, helps the environment and fights against climate change. So there's a lot of things that you could see in how I behaved in the last couple of years of dealing with my wealth management firm that can be made, can be crystallized automatically by the system. And that will help both the advisor to be more explicitly effective, but also the institution to own the client and the client insights in a more future-oriented way. Okay, so you've mentioned it. It's artificial intelligence. How does the AI actually work? How do, how do we get the information input into the AI? What comes out the other end? The system can observe my behavior over time. That is, I've been investing historically in those shares. I didn't trade very often. I only trade if I'm losing more than 10%. Also, in the last year, I've been reading more and more about ESG research and ESG news and white papers that institution offered me. Every time I've been offered to invest into biotech for whatever reason, I rejected that proposal. So there's a lot of things I can learn from my implicit behavior, because obviously if the advisor were to ask me to fill forms to answer lots of questions, I might be annoyed. Those questions might be soon out of date because maybe in six months, I get passionate about a new ESG topic than what I had before. So it's important to be able to absorb those preferences, those style of investment uh, automatically rather than by asking questions every time the advisor meets me. That's a better customer experience and it's a more up-to-date profile of who I am and what I believe in, in and I prefer. And you can kind of get that from effectively tracking people's interactions with the wealth management firm because when they interact with the firm they give away that kind of information what they're interested in what topics are concerning to them what topics they're not interested in which is equally as important that that's correct you know the way i click in my wealth portal as a client the way i accept certain proposals the way i express interest uh, for a certain topic in the agenda of a meeting, those are all little cues that put together and weighted uh, intelligently. Obviously, something I clicked on today is probably more top of mind for me than something I clicked on a year ago. So there is, you know, there's obviously very sophisticated algorithm, but commonsensically, you know, all those clicks, all those acceptances, all my requests for more information in a certain area tell a lot about what's in my mind right now. And simplistically, this would allow the firm to tailor its approach to me. That's correct. So not only all that information becomes visible to the advisor and he can make human sense out of it, but then there is other parts of AI that can generate recommendation and next best action that says, given that I need to invest a bit more in a certain asset class, and given that in the past I preferred Italian shares, uh, and I preferred uh, you know, ethical companies in the consumer space, uh, then the system, everything else being equal, can bubble up those products that will better resonate with me, for which I have more affinity than something else that maybe the advisor seems to like, but maybe it's not exactly my cup of tea. 
Is the advisor going to be around for much longer, though? And I have to ask this because what we're talking about in terms of what the AI does is recommending to me things it knows I'm going to be interested in and not recommending to me things it knows I'm not going to be interested in. Where does the advisor come into this equation? Can I not just have a relationship with an AI? Here, there's a mix of both uh, you know, psychological and operational issues. Yes, you can derive a lot of intelligence automatically, but we've seen historically that people prefer to talk to a human. A human can give them the big picture. A human can give them comfort. Sometimes humans have good ideas beyond what artificial intelligence can generate. So I think what we've been focusing on, and that we could verify the maturity of AI to really produce relevant ideas for the advisor and then almost have the advisor decide of the three ideas that we generate for you, Robin, which one or two will be more relevant given the past discussion. So we still feel that the last mile is better delivered with a human narrative behind it, but we want to make the advisor much more productive. We want to make the advisor more mindful of what the client has expressed implicitly as a preferences. So we want to have them make a good job, but you know we still see that role as critical, especially in the top segment of wealth management. But this process that we've been describing is a process that automates a huge amount of what used to go on behind the doors of the wealth management firm. That's correct, yes. How much of the time gained can be profitably turned into business? Each of our clients have different uh, strategic objectives they want to reach using our technology. What we've seen in different mixes is uh, one, to, to really create a better customer experience, to improve satisfaction, to have the client feel that it's worth paying the fees that they have to pay because there is someone behind the scenes that really understands them, that really caters to their specific needs and preferences. The second element, by generating more relevant, more suitable investment ideas, product recommendation, financial planning suggestions, is to get more share of wallet of the client because they will you know, accept, do more transaction, they will increase how much they invest in that specific portfolio. And third is to have the advisor being able to manage more clients and more assets without loss of quality because a lot of the administrative, more mechanical type of labor is done by machine and they can keep their intellectual energy, their empathy to have those personal interaction with the client, which are, you know, in some segment, what really qualifies the nature of the relationship. Uh, you mentioned that magic word, fees. Is there downward pressure on fees in wealth management as a result of this kind of automation uh, because it's becoming a more competitive marketplace? I think we see that as a consequence of you know, the different products you have in the market, the competition that you have, uh, this promise that robo-advisor, at least in the lower segment, are giving that you know people at wealth management can be cheap. There's obviously more competition because there are more players in the system. So that compression of fees, uh, I think it's really a secular trend. And now we have either people that play the fee game and try to automate as much as possible to go low. Some people want to defend 
a reasonable level of fees. But to do that, they really need to improve the quality and the customer experience. Otherwise, people might move to a more robot, a more automated, a more passive kind of investment strategy to stay on the low fee side. There has been also, I would say, secular growth in the potential size of the marketplace for wealth management solutions. Is that not also the case? Yes, and I think that's a trend that is really a key driver from our from our strategy is that we see that certain best practices, a certain level of service, certain products that you used to see in private banking, they're trickling down to the affluent segment and over time they will go into the mass affluent segment. So it's it's very important to us to be able to have a logical coverage of all those segments to be able to support differentiated customer experience for each of those segments, but also for some of our clients that we can accompany a client that is mass affluent now, will be affluent tomorrow and might be uh, ultra high net worth in five years from now on that ladder of increasing wealth. So we see the level of service that is going downstream towards mass affluent over time and obviously clients that are coming up. And I think our architecture is such that we can support optimized, personalized customer experiences for each of those segments or even micro-segments for clients that are want to be very specific in designing those experiences. Thank you very much, Alessandro Tonchia, Head of Strategy, Private Banking and Wealth at InvestCloud. Sadly, I don't think I'm ever going to be ultra-high net worth, but it's an aspiration. <laughs>